to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we are here to talk about 2017's Killing Gunther. Now, Tony, this was a movie I did not see coming. Um, it was not what I at all foresaw. But, you know, I think we should say right up front with this episode, a lot of people we know haven't seen Killing Gunther. So I think what we'll do is we'll talk generally about the movie for the first 15 minutes, and then we'll go into full spoilers after that, just because I feel like no one has seen this movie. And so I don't want to, like, ruin it for people that do want to see it and are tuning in to find out about it. Yeah, exactly. For those of you who are just joining us for uh, their first episode of Arnie Geddon, we typically expect our listeners to have watched the film, which we can rely on with some level of certainty yes with the terminator and terminator 2 and conan the barbarian maybe not so much for killing gunther sure and when we get to movies like aftermath as well we won't expect you necessarily to have seen that right off the bat so episode but if you haven't seen it by all means turn this podcast off go download it or stream it and watch it and then join us or you can just listen but spoiler alert there'll be a lot of spoilers correct so, what is Killing Gunther? Killing Gunther is the writer-director debut of Taron Killam. He was a Saturday Night Live cast member. He was in the play Hamilton. And he took a leave. He left Saturday Night Live to make this film, his debut, Killing Gunther, which is sort of a, a quirky mockumentary about hitmen. Now, basically the movie's about a group of sort of ragtag, bumbling buffoon hitmen who team up to take down the greatest hitman of all time, Gunther, who's a mystery. They don't know what he looks like. They just know he's the best. And the viewer of the film also doesn't know what Gunther looks like and only that he's the best. Were it not for the fact that Gunther were heavily featured in the trailer, the poster, and most of the promotional materials. Yes, you go into this movie knowing exactly what you're looking for when it comes to Gunther. Now, a little bit of backstory, I guess, on this movie, because I think there is a bit of a question mark. Like, What is this movie and why is Arnold Schwarzenegger in it? And I can't say the movie answers that question, but the movie was interesting because originally Taron Killam, when he was making this movie, didn't want Schwarzenegger. They were pursuing a different actor, and he wouldn't say who, but uh, the, the actor they were going after, the people representing this actor, this mystery actor, were also the representatives of Schwarzenegger. And Schwarzenegger apparently was on the lookout for, like, quirky and unique movies. And so the reps said to Taron Killam, why don't you talk to Schwarzenegger? And so he gave a presentation to Schwarzenegger and brought him in. And Schwarzenegger was like, this sounds great. And apparently liked it enough that not only did he agree to act in it, but also produce it. Yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, the idea was going in, they wanted to capture a lot of the charisma that Arnold showed in Pumping Iron. Because this is a mockumentary and Pumping Iron was a big influence over this. As well as movies like the Christopher Guest mockumentaries, which I think we'll talk about a little later. Mm -hmm. Uh, As well as uh, crime movies like Heat, The Professional, and Collateral. As well as like Kill Bill and Le Samurai, which is a 1960s French film. It's very, very cool. You should check it out if you haven't seen it. Now, this movie did not open in theaters. Uh, It it had a very, very, very tiny run. It was bought by Saban Entertainment, which if the name rings a bell, Saban was uh, the distributors of the Power Rangers franchise. And really, that's all they're known for. But they did produce that new uh, Power Rangers movie from recently. Was Arnold in that one? He was not, unfortunately. But, you know, they put this movie straight to VOD and streaming and all that sort of stuff in North America. But they did do a very brief run. The numbers for that are not available. I don't know if people turned up for it. However, I do have the box office for Hungary and the United Arab Emirates. So in Hungary, it made $100,000. And there's a... Funny little fact that in its seventh week, it made $9 on one screen. (laughs) That was its total gross. That's not great numbers. (laughs) And the United Arab Emirates, it made $97,000. Now, I don't know what percentage of that uh, $197,000 actually went to the filmmakers. Because, you know, it gets weird when it gets to international, what percentage comes to the uh, distributors. But there you have it. This movie was not a financial, you know... (laughs) gargantuan overseas well well, i'm i'm impressed that you were able to find only the uh the numbers for hungary and and the uae i had to do my due diligence i had to put in the effort well you know that's actually not that bad if it made two hundred thousand dollars in those two in those two countries then uh really how bad could it do uh in in other places exactly (laughs) we're trying to be positive here sure so tony going into this movie 
what were you expecting? Uh, what I was expecting, well, again, based on the promotional material and the poster, I was expecting this to be an Arnold Schwarzenegger vehicle. Right. Uh, <laughs> where Arnold Schwarzenegger would be playing the titular character, Gunther, and would be taking on uh, a team of bumbling assassins. Unfortunately, that's not exactly what I got, but maybe you can say some more about that, Cam. Sure, yes. I, what you have really here is a movie in which Schwarzenegger is only in it for maybe 15 minutes, and it is largely an ensemble mockumentary comedy featuring a group of comedic actors who are, again, like Saturday Night Live, uh, the, the TV show The New Girl... Uh, you know, you go through the cast members and look through, through their various filmographies. It's just like a sea of sitcom work. So these people are known, even though I didn't recognize most of them. And sketch work. <laughs> and sketch work as well. Yeah, like they are very prominent in the uh, improv community and all that sort of thing. So, yes. Um, Tony, let's get to general thoughts about the movie. Um, what was your takeaway after you had completed <laughs> Killing Gunther? I thought that it, it exactly that. I thought it felt like uh, a sketch comedy bit yeah. that was drawn out for an extra 80 minutes or so. Right. I also thought that, man, this movie would have been a lot better if there had been a lot more Schwarzenegger. Right. The the way they revealed Schwarzenegger, the way they uh, approached Gunther throughout the film, it, it was like Schwarzenegger was going to be a big surprise. Yes. You know, something of a cameo. But, of course, he was featured so heavily in everything else that I'd watched. I mean, we watched this because it was expected to be a Schwarzenegger film. The iTunes poster, when I bought it off iTunes, is literally just a picture of Schwarzenegger. Yeah, the uh, the trailer that they have on YouTube is primarily Schwarzenegger mugging for the camera, interspersed with, you know, the odd clip of Bobby Moynihan and like Terry Like jumping Killen. off a car and whatever, yeah. Yes, but it's primarily Schwarzenegger. He's the person who features... The most in the trailer. Yes. And so that's what I thought. I thought it was going to be a Schwarzenegger action comedy. Right. I also didn't think it was going to be, to be fair, based on the trailer, I didn't know it was a mockumentary. Right. Uh, I went into it thinking, well, this is just going to be an action comedy. Did this work for you as an action comedy? I think that's part of it. I think if it was a straight action comedy, it might have. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, we'll get into it as a little bit. Yes. The mockumentary format, I don't know if it works totally here. I don't know if it's necessary. Why was it a mockumentary? Like, why did these people have a documentary crew? I think because it was cheaper to film. Yeah, I think that's exactly why. Well, I don't know, Cam. I mean, what did you think about the mockumentary format? I mean, you know, we'll talk a little later about how this compares to some of the some of the greats when we break down more of the, the comedy of the movie. But, you know, I'm a big Spinal Tap fan as well as the Christopher Guest movies. And um, I think the thing is, those movies justify their format. This one never made sense to me. And I, I agree with you, it was to make it cheap. You know, you look at uh, found footage horror movies. A reason those became so popular, you know, in the wake of uh, Paranormal Activity in particular recently. Well, in the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, but that didn't really spawn a lot. It was the, the Paranormal Activity really spawned a huge number of these movies in the, you know, just a few years ago. Um, and I think it was just generally because they were cheap and you could create atmosphere and, you know, effects really, really, really cheap. Right. And you, it gave you a great excuse to not show things. You could always turn the camera away and be like, oh, the camera turned. You know, you didn't get to see that effect. And this movie has examples of that where <laughs> the camera turns off and it's like, oh, something really expensive would have happened there. Yeah, which doesn't really work in either a comedy movie or an action movie. Correct. And so, yeah, I mean, the found footage thing didn't work for me. This movie as a whole did not really work for me. Um, I'm not going to say I hated it. I thought it was very, very straight to video. Like, the constraints of its budget are written all over it. In the uh, <laughs> barely dressed apartments and warehouse spaces this movie is set in. The CG bullet shots, which are awful. Like... They look like Sharknado. <laughs> They're pretty bad. Or Carnosaur, which we like to reference on Arnigan here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you got the impression that the cast was asked to dress to their character out of right. clothes, out of their wardrobe. Yes. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger was wearing his shirt from Running Man. Probably. <laughs> from when he's going on tropical vacation. Although, although actually Schwarzenegger, I think, was probably the best 
I dressed and the best looking person in this film. Well, you know, this movie has very specific types. You know, you've got the lead character, uh, Blake, played by Taron Killam, who's sort of this, I don't know, kind of like yuppie-ish, waspy kind of hitman guy who's kind of a sad sack who's in love with his ex-girlfriend still, and he's he's just kind of a mess. But he's a decent hitman. I guess. They all seem to be okay. Yeah. Up until they actually go after Gunther, then they're just incompetent. All the, like, the montages you see introducing them right off the top of the movie, they seem to be effective. They seem to be okay hitmen, and if there's anything that can be said about them, and, and it goes to the movie itself, and to what I said earlier about it being, in some ways, an extended sketch comedy, is they're all pretty one-dimensional they're all yeah. they're all a job with an eccentricity sure like there is a character in the movie uh played by aaron Yu, named yong who is a, a chinese assassin who throws poison at people that's it well, like uh, well know. don't don't forget he also has a phobia of blood sure which makes him throw up and which they use over and over again well, to... exactly i mean it's a sketch comedy character that would work for you know like like a five-minute sketch, you could probably make that really funny. But, you know, spread them out over a period of time. And you're like, yeah, this joke is definitely run out of gas. And there were a lot of those jokes in this film. Yes. One of the members of their team, uh, played by Aubrey Sixto, is Ashley, who's uh, Blake's mentor. He was actually my favorite part of the movie, but continue. <laughs> he wasn't bad. You know, he's the he's the aging professional assassin. Right. He did have a couple good scenes, but his his uh, primary role in the movie is to go into the hospital because he has a heart attack, because he's old. Yeah. And then they play that joke over, I think, three times, which yeah, he, yeah. is he comes out of the hospital and then has a heart attack and has to go back in or ultimately dies. Right. And so, you know, ultimately you have these very one-dimensional characters. And I guess the two other main we should mention is Bobby Moynihan as Donnie, who's like the explosives expert, kind of this portly, kind of like hillbilly-ish type guy. Right. Um, and then also Hannah Simone, who's, I believe, on the show The New Girl, as Sanaa, who's uh, this... Like she's the one capable person on the team, it seems. Sanaa is a second generation daddy's girl. Her father was also a professional hitman or uh, military person. It's not I can't recall to be honest. Yeah. Uh, who's very proud of what a great sniper his daughter has become. Correct, and you know they, they are sort of the core, and there's other supporting characters tied into them, but probably oh. well, I'd I'd say Paul Britton as well as Gabe as the the hacker. The totally inexperienced, useless hacker. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very like uh, hipster hacker. Um, but that there's the core group, and then there's all these hangers-ons who we'll get to when we get into the spoilery stuff. But you know, how did this cast work for you? The cast wasn't too bad. It's always tough in something like this, whether or whether you put it on the cast or you put it on the script and what they had to work with and the budget. Right. You think if this was a show that was maybe maybe had the opportunity to be edited a little bit better if it wasn't done in this mockumentary found footage format, maybe they could have uh, cut out some of the scenes if they were able to reshoot some of the bigger budget scenes that had explosions and that kind of thing. It probably would have been a little bit more forgiving. Right. I, I think that as it stood, while there were a few laughs, I, I mean, I laughed a few times in the film, by and large, I sat there watching the film, waiting for Schwarzenegger to show up, not really laughing that much. Right. And when Schwarzenegger showed up, was it worth it? Schwarzenegger is what makes this movie, if anything makes this movie worth watching, it's when Schwarzenegger shows up. Because he, if anything, is the funniest character in the film. Yes. I would agree with that. Um, I think it's a pretty weak comedy, but I think Schwarzenegger has a lot of fun when he actually shows up. Now, I think let's jump into spoilers, but before we do that, Tony, um, would you recommend that Schwarzenegger fans watch this movie? I mean, I would recommend any Schwarzenegger fan watch any Schwarzenegger movie. Okay. Uh, on this one, depending on how, depending on what you think of mockumentaries in general or comedies in general or this cast, you know, if you're a fan of this cast from a comedic standpoint, it might work for you. You might find it funny. Uh, it's... You probably aren't going to think of it as a super memorable film that you're going to uh, buy all the special features and action figures for. Right. So if you're just interested in Schwarzenegger, it's totally worthwhile just to get it or download it or stream it and fast forward to about the 65 minute mark. <laughs> yeah, I kind of agree with you there. Um, 
Yeah, so let's move into spoilers now for Killing Gunther and just go hog wild and kind of take this thing apart. So, okay, so Tony, I am curious. Did you spend a fair amount of time watching this movie thinking, why is Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie? No, I spent a, really? I spent a fair amount of time watching this movie thinking, when is Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> going to show up? Right. Uh, when he did show up, uh, notwithstanding the film format and everything else, uh, I thought the movie was actually pretty entertaining. Okay. But at the end of the movie, I did refl- have an opportunity to reflect on, yeah, what is Arnold Schwarzenegger doing in this film? Yes, like we've reached a very interesting point in Arnold Schwarzenegger's career. One that is beginning to actually concern me in regards to this podcast. <laughs> in terms of download numbers for some of these movies we're going to be covering. Um, because, I, you know, I look at the career of Sylvester Stallone right now. And we talked about him when we did our uh, Expendables episode recently. Yep. And I feel like uh, Stallone, despite a career filled with terrible decisions, you know, things like Rhinestone or Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, has somehow managed to keep, you know, a good output of stuff going. You know, he's, you know, showing up in Marvel movies. The Rocky movies have worked. He's just signed on to make another Rambo. Oscar 2 is about to come out. (laughs) The sequel to Creed. You know, like, he's in stuff that people still want to see. And I don't think that Stallone is like an infinitely better actor than Schwarzenegger by any stretch of the imagination. And so, you know, I'm looking at Schwarzenegger and Killing Gunther, and I'm, you know, going like, oh my god, like, you know, we reviewed Maggie a while back on the podcast. Um, He's done, you know, the straight-to-video movie Aftermath recently. Uh, There's the trailer coming up for the um, uh, Journey to China film he did, the Russian movie, I think. I don't even know where it's from. Right, it's pretty tough to find the English trailer for that movie. Yes, and I'm questioning, like, what is happening to Arnold Schwarzenegger? Like, are his reps just sending him, like, really, really bad scripts and bad projects? It's not clear. The The sense I get with a movie like this is that they had him maybe for a day or two yeah. on set, <laughs> and that really, you know, he made the most of that time on set. Yeah. But... It is puzzling. Not to say that Maggie or Aftermath or some of his later stuff are necessarily bad movies, but they are strange choices for him. Yeah. And for him to do a movie like this, especially, which Maggie in some sense almost makes sense. Yes. Aftermath in some sense almost makes sense for an actor, a late career actor who's trying to maybe redefine himself. And stretches dramatic muscles, yeah. Right. Uh, this movie doesn't make that much sense, which is strange because really he is the redeeming feature of this film. Well, and the idea too of him taking this movie, did he think this movie was going to get attention? Because this is a very low budget project and it's written all over the entire movie. Like there's no, there's no sign that this is not a very bargain basement project. I mean, even the photoshopped magazines in this movie look awful. Like, incompetently bad. Uh, Whenever they show a newspaper or something, it looks like it was put together by a 12-year-old with paint. (laughs) MS paint. I didn't actually notice. Really? I was like, oh my god. (laughs) Of all the things to focus on in this film, the the poor poor newspaper props was not what I had my eye on. It's just written all over the movie with the terrible CG and all that sort of stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, I understand an actor wanting to sign up for, like, a quirky comedy to kind of show off their comedic chops again. But did he think this was going to get any eyeballs on it? I don't know. I I don't know what he thought. <laughs> it's t- <laughs> it is tough to put yourself in his mind. Um, maybe he thought the movie was going to be funnier, that it was going to be more of a of an action comedy and he would show up at the end and be this big reveal. Yeah. Uh, I do get that impression a little bit that maybe, maybe the movie started off as something different and then not with that budget though. <laughs> who knows? Who, who really knows? I, I had a hard time finding much in the way of production notes yeah. on this film. Uh, Cause I was curious. And actually. it was, all, it was shot actually in our town of Vancouver. It was. I, yeah. I, I, I recognized a few spots in there, actually. Yeah. And it was funny because Kobe Smulders shows up in this movie. 
And she's fairly recognizable. You know, she's in the Marvel Universe. She's on uh, How I Met Your Mother. She's actually married to Taryn Killam, I think. Exactly. I spent most of the week figuring out, like, I was like, she must be married to someone here. (laughs) There's no way she signed on to do this. (laughs) You know, she's in, like, you know, I mean, not great, but, you know, modestly budgeted Hollywood fare like Jack Reacher 2. She should not be in this movie. (laughs) There is a a little bit of a question. Like, I, I do wonder if... Schwarzenegger got production credit on this yeah. simply by waiving or taking a lower uh, actor's fee or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it would not surprise me if he did this movie for scale. Maybe you know, maybe it's a tax benefit for him. <laughs> you know, he'll produce, he'll he'll throw in six million dollars, pay himself six and a half, and yeah, call it a day, and he's off to the races. Right. Okay. Well, let's get into the movie itself. So. We are following this group of hitmen, and they're all very eccentric personalities. I want to know which ones worked for you. I don't know if any of them really worked <laughs> for me. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, not, none of them were disastrous. Sure. But like like we were saying earlier, they were basically, uh, every character was essentially a movie trope yeah. with an eccentricity that w- led into a joke and then that joke was repeated anywhere between two to five times right was there one of them that graded on you more than others uh, i did think that the young character was maybe the most unnecessary right it, it really didn't make a lot of sense why he was i mean i get it it's, it's supposed to be a comedy but um him running out and throwing poison at a sniper and you know, with it not being a, anywhere near the sniper i didn't really that kind of made me laugh <laughs> it, it, you know it made me laugh maybe the first time right i won't maybe not laugh smile sure grunt sure uh but chortle chortle but uh you know eventually the jokes kind of wore old uh i thought actually the gabe character was pretty funny just yes. the, the the hacker yeah the the tech guy who is so so genuine but so useless and played by Paul Bretain yeah and uh, yeah I I thought he was fairly well developed like you know I I liked the characters I guess that they gave stuff to do like I thought sort of the romance between Bobby Moynihan's character and Hannah Simone's character um, I'm not gonna say it was anything great but I appreciated sort of that little bit of character growth like it gave me something like I was like oh hey how nice for them yeah, none of the characters were particularly offensive, uh, but none of them were particularly compelling. No, I thought the least effective, um, Amir Talaj as Izzat, who the, has like the, a mechanical hand. The crusher. The crusher. That was a little bit... Uh, dire. <laughs> yeah, you know, as soon as they introduce the character and he's, he says, I have a mechanical hand, and uh, they really focus several times on, you know, how the hand... Uh, when it powers down, it closes into a fist. Yeah. And you're just waiting for the punchline. And they had a punchline again several times. Yes. They had a, a punchline of him breaking a gun. They had a punchline of him, I think, breaking something else. Right. And then ultimately the punchline of him uh, getting his own neck crushed by it. Yes. I mean, I just saw the movie Deadpool 2 just recently, which has, of course, Cable with a mechanical arm. And... Uh, it's it's not great to see the, the comedic stylings of Deadpool 2, you know, dealing with a guy with a mechanical arm, and then going into this afterwards and seeing Killing Gunther dealing with that same material into far less effect. Yeah, yeah, really. Uh, the uh, the Russian twins, they didn't really work. They were them. awful, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> they were full-on awful. They are played by Alison Tolman and uh, Ryan Gall. Um, and they're played as sort of these, yeah, these uh, kind of thuggish uh, Russian uh, siblings who, I guess the joke is that they're like tourists and they want to go to Disneyland. They're on like a workcation. Yes. That's the joke. They don't really even have characters. They're Well, they're psychotic. That's So that's their character. They're psychos yeah. who are really mean and they, they make a point of showing them on the show being... Very savage, stealing food from people at restaurants and stuff like that. Yeah. And then they want to go to, uh, yeah, Disneyland or something. Yeah. Did they ever make you, like, even slightly laugh? No. Yeah. To me, I thought, I mean, yeah, I guess you knew that they were not going to be that great because they were introduced last. (laughs) Generally, the characters (laughs) introduced last are not going to be the best. It's kind of like, did you see Suicide Squad? 
uh, the guy with the rope. Yeah, Slipknot. <laughs> yeah, he, do, he doesn't have an in, he doesn't even have an intro scene. Uh, not that, and I mean to be honest, Suicide Squad was uh, kind of a lot like this movie, except it yeah. was um, probably even more loathsome. I, I really did not like Suicide Squad, but it was let, longer, therefore it was worse. <laughs> yeah, let's not get too far into it. But you know, the Slipknot character they introduce with no fanfare whatsoever. It's like they've introduced Harley Quinn, Killer Croc, etc they've been given quite a bit to do and then Slipknot just joins out of nowhere like half an hour into the movie and then just dies unceremoniously within five minutes. Yeah, which wasn't that surprising given how he was introduced. That they, was They have amazing Slipknot tank tops though online that you can buy which I'm very tempted to buy. Yeah, we should start reselling them. Yeah. Uh, that arnigeddon.com traffic is going to make us millions here. Off Adam Beach t-shirts, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's a good segue, Cam, yeah. is... What did you think about... The... <laughs> Adam Beach is always a good segue. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, life's a beach. Uh, <laughs> what did you think about the willingness of the film to actually kill off their characters? I enjoyed that. Like, I thought it was actually kind of fun when the movie opens that they're showing these hitmen killing people in amusing ways. Now, the movie's not super well directed, so I don't know that these comedic moments hit like they should, but I appreciated the energy and sort of that attempt at creativity. And I did enjoy that, yeah, it was willing to kill its characters and to do it in funny ways. Um, it, you know, it definitely kind of goes to, like, you know, Naked Gun Hot Shots territory. But I enjoyed that. Uh, I just wish it had a little <laughs> more confidence in the direction to really sell those moments. But but I enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of fun. Really, you thought, say, uh, Yong's death scene where he gets bit in the neck by a snake, and then I believe his final line is something along the lines of, is this what poison feels like? Well, this sucks. And then proceeds to expire. I wasn't thinking of that one. I was thinking more of when Gabe had his head crushed by a tombstone. That was a little funny. <laughs> that was pretty funny. That was one of the funnier parts of the movie. I, I will admit that. Yeah, I mean, actually come to think of it, I guess the Russian twin's death uh, wasn't so funny either. Well, no, it wasn't really funny. It was kind of funny when Schwarzenegger was standing over them, mugging for the camera. Wearing a dress. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk briefly, because there's only so much you can really say about Ashley. Yeah. Uh, the, the mentor character played by Aubrey Sixto. Um, he made me laugh, and I don't even know if it was that funny, but there's something about this very doddering old man character who they keep talking up as this amazing guy who is basically like convalescing the entire movie. Yeah, well, they did show a scene right at the outset of, of uh, where they're introducing him and they say, even at 100 or whatever he is, yeah, he's yeah. still a better hitman than most of the people out there, something along those lines. And then they showed a scene of him doddering around but managing to stab a couple people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The actor, uh, Sixto, actually made me laugh in this character like I felt like he was able to wring laughs out of a one joke character a lot better than a lot of the rest of the cast were I wouldn't go that far <laughs> okay you weren't as big a fan of him as I was apparently. well I, I'm I, a big I, Ashley supporter <laughs> again I uh I'll agree with him he did he did make me laugh but I wasn't doubled over I was doubled over. I was laying on the floor, pounding the ground. The neighbors were getting angry because I was keeping them up. It was one o'clock in the morning. Sounds like you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, let's get to Taron Killam. He wrote and directed this movie. He's also the star. I mean, this is sort of his vanity project, I suppose, in, in an odd way. Which is a little strange, yeah. It is very strange. He's the lead as Blake. What did you think of him? I think if you're marketing a movie as being a Schwarzenegger vehicle... Yes, you probably shouldn't have it as being primarily a Terran Killam vehicle. Right. Now, how is he, though? All said and done, when you're sitting there watching him for 65 minutes rule the screen, were you finding him entertaining or engaging? Or were you just thinking, like, get this guy off the screen? I don't think either. I didn't really care about his character. Yeah. I didn't really care about his relationship with his ex-wife. I'm glad you brought that up, or his ex-girlfriend, yeah. Um... I feel that that was really badly handled because there's a moment late in the film where he kind of comes to the realization that he's still in love with her and that's what's driving his obsession with hunting down Gunther. Right. And throughout the rest of the film, he's denying this. He's like, no, 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 I don't really care. 
But I never felt that that sort of emotional journey this character was going on. And let's be honest, he's the only character going on an emotional journey in this movie, really. I guess you could say that Hannah Simone's character, Sanaa, sort of does. She does have change, but it's she's not having like an arc. Um, she just has sort of a, a change in her character partway through. Mm-hmm. But uh, Taron Killam's character has an actual arc. And I thought it was really poorly handled. And I think part of the problem is the mockumentary format doesn't really help it in any way. And I never felt like where this character was going meant anything. And when it ultimately resulted in sort of this relationship never happening or anything like that. And him just kind of going off the rails in the end. I didn't really get anything out of it. No, there wasn't much. Well, there wasn't a great build up to it. And there wasn't a great payoff for it. Right. So you, you never felt like they were like really building it up. It never felt like something that was being amped up. You know, like I began to realize like Kobe Smulder shows up. Early, very early in the movie, maybe the first ten minutes or something. Right. And then she doesn't show up again for a, quite a long time, and I began to go like, oh, I guess she's just, was maybe just going to do that little just, bit. Just window dressing. Yeah. yeah exactly. Kind of giving some background context to the Gunther-Blake uh, character's uh, dynamic. Yeah, and I'd like to say you can't really blame Taron Killam in the same way you can't blame the other actors, but... Well, he did write and direct it. <laughs> that's the thing. As the writer and the director, yeah. he really had full control yeah. over where his character was going and over where the movie was going. So the fact that you were bored and you didn't care about his character... Yeah. I didn't hate his character. No, no. But it wasn't particularly funny. And they play him very whiny. Yeah. And it's tough to make a character who's really whiny... And make you want to follow them for 90 minutes. Usually you would make that character more of a supporting character or something. Someone who other people can undercut better. Whereas, like, listening to him just whine consistently for 90 minutes, you're like... Reminded me a lot of Red Sonia. Right. <laughs> 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 Talking about the king? <laughs> you got it. Ernie Reyes? <laughs> no, yeah, that's actually quite accurate. Would that be a better movie with those two characters facing off? <laughs> That'd be an interesting, a killing, killing Gunther, Red Sonia crossover. A Red Gunther. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to me, the Blake character, yeah, he just never really works. But I will say, there is a scene... At a certain point, you know, maybe halfway through the movie, they think they've killed Gunther. They think they've finally done it, and they have this karaoke party at a bar. Yes. And I will actually say, I actually found that scene kind of amusing. Well, that's that's interesting you say that. Uh, I remember that was about the point in the movie where I totally checked out. Okay, why? I thought that that scene was totally unnecessary. It looked like it was shot on a handy cam, which I guess it probably was. Right. Uh I mean, early on, you're watching what is supposed to pass for a madcap action comedy. Sure. Was it ever madcap? <laughs> Not really, yeah, but, but. You're, you, you know, you're waiting for the payoff to happen. You're waiting for right. the jokes to come. And then, it, <laughs> and then it cuts to this karaoke scene, which wasn't just uh, a short scene. It was a very extended scene. Yeah. And it was like watching people you don't know or like that much, just get drunk together. Right. For about five or ten minutes of the film. Right. And it, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And and actually, that was the point of the movie where I thought to myself, ah, oh, this movie really... It's where I ran out of giving the movie chances. Tony, maybe it's just I'm old. I feel old and broken most of the time. <laughs> and so, you know, this movie has this very high energy feel through most of it now i'm not saying you're actually swept up in this energy i just mean it's throwing constant kind of lame jokes at you for the first 45 minutes like it's just kind of bombarding you with really weak jokes and so i got tired of this sort of manic attempt to be funny and so this scene was like a breather of like okay i can just watch characters kind of talk to each other for a little bit that's a bit of a relief because i'm tired of watching these hitmen bounce lame punchlines. Well, I don't think you're broken or old to begin with, Cam. <laughs> Thank you. You don't look a day past uh, when you graduated high school. Oh, wow. wow. And, you, and you've got a face that was made for podcasting. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and a voice that was made for silent film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should do a musical episode one time. We'll do, but, all, we'll do it all through mime. <laughs> sorry, maybe we can just devolve into mean jokes and yeah. uh, and that kind of thing as we go on here. Right. Okay, so <laughs> let's move into the Schwarzenegger material. 
Um, I am curious though, they build up Gunther a lot, and he's always in the background, he's unseen, or when he is on screen, <laughs> he's a diminutive man who's doing parkour. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> Gunther played by Arnold Schwarzenegger with Jet Li as his body double. Yes. Did you find that amusing? Which part? The body double running around for the majority of this movie. To be honest, I actually thought that there was going to be some kind of twist. Yeah. That it actually wasn't going to be uh, supposedly Schwarzenegger. Right. That that they wouldn't dare do that. Right. Uh, Have him feature so prominently in the promotional material and then then not reveal him and, and not show him. Yeah. As, as if it's a monster movie or something like that. Right. Or, or as if uh, there's going to be some kind of uh, payoff. Because you know who he is. Right. So to have him not, not be on screen doesn't make any sense. And then it turns out it is him after all. What I mean, what did you think of it? I will say I thought the visual is funny in theory of selling... like the, Okay, there's a problem here. Like The fact that they won't say it's Schwarzenegger up front I think actually kind of hurts the joke. I think it's better if you establish it is Arnold Schwarzenegger up front, and then you have this small man running through scenes, and they're like, there's Gunther. I think somehow that is funnier, because there's more of that, like, that is so obviously not Arnold Schwarzenegger. But the fact is, you sit there going, like, Gunther is supposed to be Schwarzenegger, right? Like, you feel like the movie's just... You're not sure if that's a joke or if it's just lame. I don't think it was a joke. I think it was just... Really? I uh... thought it was supposed to be a joke. Well, and that's a bad sign. <laughs> I the, thought I was supposed to be laughing and that this is supposed to be Schwarzenegger, but it's so obviously not. But I think the joke should be they set up right up top that Schwarzenegger is Gunther. Yeah, I, I think it is a bad sign that we have the two of us on here debating whether or not they meant something as a joke. Yeah. you Because know, that means it's, it's either a bad joke or a bad not joke. Yeah, or just a, a bad setup. That's right. A joke. Yeah, yeah. I don't really feel, I guess, the same way, but I think we can both agree it didn't work. No, it didn't work. So we actually get to the Schwarzenegger material, and we said up front that that was probably the best part of the movie. Um, what were some of the moments that stood out for you that that made you kind of appreciate what Schwarzenegger was doing? Well, he seemed very relaxed. Like he didn't. See, he seemed like he was there to have some fun. Yeah, he was wearing a suit at one point. Yeah, it had like butterflies all over it, and I very much liked that. You don't really get to see Schwarzenegger as a villain too often, which I really liked. I think he, he's only been a villain maybe in The Terminator and Batman and Robin. Yeah. I can't think of any other films he's been a villain in. I think that's it. Yeah. But he, yeah, he was dressed kind of colorfully. He had spiky hair that uh, that uh, looked kind of good on him, actually. Yeah. And you know, he, Arnold, he, he looked pretty good. Arnold Schwarzenegger's 70 years old. Mm-hmm. He looks really good in this movie. He looked great. Actually, that's one thing we've we've noticed and we've remarked on in some of our uh, other reviews of the, of his later films is how he definitely has looked like he's slowing down and yeah. he's just not the same as he was. Uh, I mean, he looked pretty pr- in pretty good shape here. Yeah, he looked better in this than he did in The Last Stand a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I was actually kind of surprised because I did not expect. Arnold to look that good I'm kind of at that point in my life where you see you know when a lot of our sort of favorite action heroes come back at this point in time you're looking at them going like boy age is really you know eating away at them the sands of time are running out for our favorite heroes yeah which I then always just extrapolate into the sands of time sure dropping on my head yeah you know and I mean I just watched the other night the Jackie Chan movie The Foreigner um, that was in theater or theaters. I guess it was maybe I don't know at the end of 2017 or something like that. And you know it was okay, but I mean Jackie Chan is looking quite old to me now, and it's kind of sad, you know, because I was a huge Jackie Chan fan through especially my early 20s. Mm-hmm. I watched so many of his movies at that time period. You know, you watch like uh, these movies of them now, and you go, boy, it's kind of sad to see our favorite heroes getting older. Right. I actually think Schwarzenegger looks great. Which is all the more baffling why he's doing these direct-to-DVD movies when he still looks good enough to be showing up in Decent Fair. Like, when I see older actors kind of slumming through straight-to-video action movies, usually it's because they look a lot older. You know, when you see, say, like the Chuck Norris ones right. of the modern day or something, or even, honestly, like Van Damme's a lot younger than, um, than uh, Schwarzenegger, but I think he actually looks rougher. I think Van Damme looks pretty good. Have you seen his new show? 
I haven't seen his new show, the one that was canceled. Oh, was it canceled? Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> That's unf- I didn't know that actually. I was looking forward to season yeah. two. But or even like Seagal, who you know, he doesn't look as good as Schwarzenegger. You know, and to me, like I- I'm impressed. I'm like, get this guy back on the big screen because. He still got it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly it, right? He he was, I thought, quite convincing as uh, an aging super hitman. Yeah, who still had it, who had climbed his way to the top and was contemplating maybe retirement, but it was still convincing to see him pull the door off a fridge and then throw it at a man. Yeah, I never doubted that he was still a physical specimen who could take people down easily. Like I totally bought it. It's it's a bummer to see him kind of slumming in this. And, you know, he has a lot of energy. Like, he has fun stuff. You know, Gunther kind of goes into retirement and he's, like, operating like a uh, like a gardening co-op. Stuff like that. Like, wearing, wearing later hosen yeah, and, and Aust- a dress. And moved back to Austria. Like, stuff like that is really fun. He's got a wacky wardrobe, a goofy haircut. He's, he's very charismatic, but it's just so villainous. Yes, yes. And that stuff's fun. But there's a point where they start, like, having him quote his famous lines... Uh, like I know they like took lines from Predator. I think from Commando, running, from Running Man, Running Man. And again, same issue with some of the other characters. I think once would have been kind of funny yeah. if Schwarzenegger had said, "Well, I'll be back," or "I'm gonna hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm gonna ram it into your stomach and rip out your spine." Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, doing one or two, or I won't even say two. Doing one of those. You know, would give me a chuckle and say, "All right, Arnold, you you know you're just having fun here." Right. Um, but just laying it on so thick, he, he's not in the movie very long. Yeah. It just feels like a lot of the jokes in this movie, which is a little bit forced. Well, and it's funny because you know we haven't done the Expendables two episode of the podcast yet, but my memory of watching that movie is that it really has Arnold recycling a lot of his famous lines and stuff like that, like really playing up the parody aspects of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right, and I remember at the time feeling like, okay, like that was fine, but enough's enough. Like you know, Arnold, you still have obviously energy. You still want to be doing interesting movies or choosing unique projects. Like you know, maybe pull back on making yourself a parody because he was even doing that in Terminator Three, for example. Right, and it's like okay, you know, you, it, it kind of feels a little sad at a certain point. And I get it if you're doing that sort of thing in Terminator Three, which is a big budget movie seen by a lot of people. Cool, I guess. Um, but when you're doing it in a very low-budget, kind of cheapo production like this, it's going straight to streaming, and it's just Arnold Schwarzenegger reciting old lines, it feels kind of sad. Yeah, I thought it was definitely the weakest part of what was actually, I thought, a pretty good performance. And really, yeah. really the the thing in this movie that if anything makes it worth watching it was schwarzenegger's performance in this film yeah where he's really just mugging it up and happy-go-lucky and once he once he gets on the film as well there's a lot less of the other characters and it yeah. really focuses more on schwarzenegger yeah which which was great because i was tired of them right um, so so for him to like you say to go and recycle these lines uh Several times over, at least three times, maybe even more than that. Yeah. Uh, once would have been okay. You would have kind of, you know, wink and gun. Way to go, Arnold. Right. Uh, but three times, uh, just go back to what you were doing because it was working. I would like to see him creating new taglines instead of going out and doing the same ones over and over again. That's actually an interesting point. We should get to that at some point on the podcast here which is ranking uh, the the uh, catchphrases well maybe that'll be a special episode oh it will be yeah but uh i just mean going into maybe some of his later stuff and trying to find uh what was uh, what was the last film he had where he had really a memorable uh catchphrase i know that our intro to every episode uh always includes what we consider to be uh, the most important line in the film, except except Terminator, I believe. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I think we've given that up. Now we just like to throw in the fun ones. Yeah, the fun ones. But we we try and put a line in that we like, anyways. Yeah. And uh, usually, there's some good ones. I mean, Arnold's got some such great one-liners. Yeah. Over the, over the course of his career. So, at what point did that stop? Well, to the best of your memory, now, and we haven't watched a lot of the sort of films in that period where he was sort of slowing down you know movies like end of days sixth day stuff like that right. we haven't covered those yet on the podcast but to your memory now do you remember what the last movie you think he had memorable lines in were well was sixth day or end of days the last one 
Uh, Sixth Day came after End of Days. Yeah, so Sixth Day then is the last movie that I can really recall had just obvious one-liners that... Do you remember them? Because uh, I, I, I don't remember any of them. Well, I, re- I do. I actually remember when... I can't remember who played the the bad guy, the CEO of the cloning company. In Tony this, Goldwyn, I think. When he... Uh, he comes he comes out of the uh, cloning vat right and falls onto one of his clones yeah and then promptly dies and Schwarzenegger says when I told you to go fuck yourself I wasn't serious <laughs> and I had a few good lines like that which I thought were pretty good I actually thought it the the sixth day I think is kind of an underrated film but we'll get to it yeah I'm looking forward to revisiting that one because I haven't seen it since it came out um to the best of my memory I I feel like the last of sort of the Arnold Schwarzenegger catchphrases was Batman and Robin and a lot of those are infamous more than beloved but I feel like <laughs> that one really <laughs> like pounded the uh, the uh, the cross into the grave of Schwarzenegger catchphrases. Like, I feel like people were not into them at that point forward. That might be the case. I'm, what films came out after Batman? I'm trying to think what was right around. I don't have a chronology. End of Days me. came out after Six Day came out after Batman and Robin. So, you know, you remember the uh, uh, Six Day one. So that, that's something. I mean, there may have been something in Collateral Damage or, or even The Last Stand. I don't remember. So that's why it's going to be interesting <laughs> to revisit those movies. Yeah, it will be interesting. I can, I, that, that'll actually be a lot of fun to do that. Now, I want to talk about... The two genres this movie uh, falls into, which is both mockumentaries and hitman comedies. Is, hit, is hitman comedy a genre? I think so. I think so. In that post-Tarantino era, you get a lot of these sort of quick-witted hitman movies. You know, you have stuff like Two Days in the Valley. You have Truth and Consequences, New Mexico. Um, you have movies like The Big Hit with Mark Wahlberg. And Lou Diamond Phillips. Lucky number 11. Sure, there's another one. Does this movie... (laughs) Does this movie succeed in any way as a hitman comedy? Like, post-Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, there was so much of the... So many of these movies, and critics were like, oh god, not another one. Do you feel like, had this movie been released around that time period... It would have stood out from the pack or would have been dismissed as another bad hitman comedy. You mean like if we hold this one up to... Things to do in Denver when you're dead. <laughs> or three, was it Three Kings? Was that a hitman comedy? No, that was, a, that was the, what, the what, 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 what am I thinking of? Are the, you thinking of Suicide Kings? Replacement Killers? Replacement... Yeah, that was Chow Yun-Fat. And uh, the, the Mark Wahlberg one. The big hit. Is that the big hit? Yeah, with Lou Diamond Phillips. Oh, okay. So if what you're saying is if it was released next to the big hit, yeah. how would it compare? Yeah. Probably poorly. <laughs> to be honest, it, it just doesn't have the budget. I think, and what we've already said, I think the mockumentary format yeah. really hurts it. And the absence of uh, the absence of a real starring character trying to trying to trying to have Schwarzenegger carry the movie when he's only in it for about fifteen minutes, maybe even less. Yeah is unfortunate and no offense to darren killam and bobby moynihan you mean taren killam what did i call him darren sorry Sorry. no no disrespect sorry sorry yeah taren killam i think i call him taren killam but you know these guys aren't they're not uh, leading actors necessarily well not only that but taren killam as the lead you know he's writing and directing this movie as well that's a lot to juggle when you're a first-time director, much less also starring in the movie. Yeah. He probably should have traded that job off and just focused on the uh, the writing directing. Yeah, actually, one of the... I mean, we haven't really gotten to it, but one of the uh, side characters in this uh, film was uh, Blake's uh, Taron Killam. His partner shows up for a brief scene. Uh, his his partner Max. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, with a USB with Gunther's address on it. Sure. And there's a brief scene. Yeah. Uh, and it's clear that Max is a more likable guy. Uh, yeah. You know they don't really get into why they broke up at at any point. Right. Um. But you get the impression that it's because uh, Blake is probably petty and Max is just you know more fun to be around and right. t- takes the lead and is right more often yeah uh, and he he dies fairly quickly but i would actually would have liked to have seen more of the movie with someone like him who's right. likable and has a lot of screen presence 
I, I can't recall the actor who actually played him, but <laughs> that's fine. What about the uh, crazy gun shop owner played by Scott McNeil? You mean played by Arnold Schwarzenegger as we find <laughs> out at the end? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because of course Gunther proves to be a master of disguise who's played a good chunk of the supporting cast at the end of the movie. <laughs> I mean, is there is there a more tired action trope than the eccentric gun shop owner, especially in a movie full of already eccentric characters yeah there's a lot there is an overload of eccentric characters you know did we really did we really need a wacky gun shop owner in there no i don't don't think so i mean if they're not gonna stunt cast it with someone fun just don't yeah they could have just you know had a van stashed somewhere with a bunch of guns in it although he did kind of feel like the uh, mickey rourke character from the expendables (laughs) Scott McNeil actually looks a little bit like Mickey Rourke. He does. I think he kind of. Dresses... We're sorry, Scott McNeil. Yeah, I think he actually dresses a little bit like Mickey Rourke. Was this based on Mickey Rourke in that movie? Uh, maybe, maybe Scott McNeil's the poor man's Mickey Rourke. <laughs> Although, given Mickey Rourke's career trajectory as of late, maybe he's the poor man's Mickey Rourke. Yeah, yeah or maybe Mickey Rourke's the poor man's Scott McNeil. It's <laughs> this is a Venn diagram that we're not going to get to the bottom. Of. <laughs> Okay, so I want to talk, you know, as we're wrapping this up, about the mockumentary format. Uh, you know, the Christopher Guest movies, Best in Show, uh, Waiting for Guffman, uh, Spinal Tap. Mighty Wind. Mighty Wind, For Your Consideration. These are some amazing comedies. And they really set a bar high for mockumentaries. And I think they make it look easy. And I think this movie proves it's not easy. <laughs> well... And again, no disrespect to... How many times are you going to say that? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's like a lot of the jokes in this movie. So yeah. You say it enough times and eventually people start to not believe that they're good jokes. Right. Start to believe that you actually are disrespecting them. Right. But those, those Christopher Guest movies, I mean, you look at the, um, the cast that was in a lot of those. I mean, in addition to Christopher Guest, you have... Uh, I think Eugene Levy. Yeah, Catherine yeah. O'Hara, Catherine Fred Hara. Willard. Yeah. Yeah, Jennifer yeah. Coolidge. Yeah. Um, Bob Balaban. Now I'm second guessing myself. Was Eugene Levy in those movies? <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Thank God. Uh, but. <laughs> Michael McKeon as well, of course. Yeah, and then, and, and then you have also the chops of the minor characters, right? You have, you know, the Billy Crystal and Dana Carvey kind of sure. showing up. Fran Drescher, if you're a fan of the nanny, and <laughs> yeah, Parker Posey, yeah, all, all these, all these people. Um, but as far as a co- comedic cast goes, yeah, they they really are a, a cut above uh, pretty much anyone. Right. When you get right down to it, it's it's hard to think of, you know, a funnier ensemble. I mean, they're out there, right? But uh, again, I'm going to say no disrespect. Yeah. I, you, know, you know, how can anyone kind of compare to that? It's it's like what we before we started this we were talking about the uh the solo movie that recently yeah, yeah. came out and you know how can anyone really step into harrison ford's shoes as han solo and expect to um expect to do it as well yeah right it's just uh you have actors that are just really at the top of their craft and uh it's it's tough for anyone to compare to that so you know if you were to take those characters and christopher guest and port them into this movie yeah it would probably be a great movie or yeah. at least a way better movie it's something about the talent pool too and the thing is i don't want to like besmirch anyone in this movie because a lot of them have successful comedy careers did you just take out your thesaurus and look up disrespect and come out with besmirch <laughs> no not at all <laughs> um but you know the thing is like they have backgrounds as being very successful comedians so like look these are funny people Let's yes. not take that away from them. Yeah, no, not at all. But there is something about, I mean, sketch comedians. You know, you look at like the Saturday Night Live gang, for example. And, and I'm not talking about, say, like Bobby Moynihan or Taron Killam who were on Saturday Night Live. I mean, even if you go back to the history of Saturday Night Live and look at a lot of the actors who were on that show who were hilarious on that show who just didn't work when you took them out of that format. Like, I'm thinking of actors like you know, Kevin Nealon or David Spade or uh, Tim Meadows. Like, these people could be hilarious on Saturday Night Live, but they never really translated beyond that. Oh, really? I think, uh, actually, all three of those, those <laughs> actors that you you named actually have d- gone on and done some quite, quite funny movies or television. Name the Tim Meadows one you're thinking of. Uh, well, maybe not Tim Meadows. <laughs> He's funny in Mean Girls. I'll give him that one. Yeah. But but in, in the sense of, like, I don't know that many of them can carry a movie. 
I think they work in supporting roles, but I don't think they carry movies. Yeah, and that's probably true. I mean, if you think about... Um, you know, even, Bill Murray's are rare. Yeah, if, if you think about like the David Spade films that yeah. really were successful, I mean, it, it was really because he was uh, partnered up with Chris Farley, and it was sure. more of a comedy duo where they're supporting each other. Yeah, and I mean, someone like Adam Sandler is really rare. Yeah, and, and same with... Yeah, and same with like... Um, Kevin Nealon. I mean, I've I've seen him in some pretty funny stuff, but you're right. Yeah. And Tim Meadows, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, but they're not the lead roles. Rob Schneider could be hilarious on Saturday Night Live back in the day. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's like they just don't work as leading men. You know, yeah. and and yeah. that's the problem is they're better to inject for sort of a laugh or two in a comedy. And like I've seen Kevin Nealon show up in movies and be really funny. And I adored Kevin Nealon as the Weekend uh, Update reporter on Saturday Night Live. Like I was a huge fan of him. And, you know, you see him in movies and you're like, eh, he, he was fine. Yeah, so if you were to take, uh, you know, you were to take a, a top ensemble cast, like, out of the Christopher Guest movies. Um, and again, I think the other thing with those, with the Christopher Guest films is, like you said earlier, the mockumentary format really makes sense. Like, they they spell out why it is a mockumentary. Yeah. Which they don't really hear. Yeah. And... And that's why you get left with the impression that it's a, a combination of the actors and their comedy style as well as the filming style. Uh, that's why you get the impression that it's um, basically an extended sketch comedy on a budget. Right. Okay, well, I think that's a good wrap-up, if any, to uh, Killing Gunther. Um, what is going to be your takeaway from this movie? Is this a movie you could ever see yourself revisiting? Actually, it is interesting. I don't think I'd go ahead and watch the entire film over again. Right. But I might actually go and rewatch the Schwarzenegger parts, if only to see him wearing later hosen or sing- singing. I've never seen yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger sing. He well, sang. He did it- kind of sing in Kindergarten Cop, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, a little bit, but never a full country song. No, that's true. And the whole end credits plays out with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger country song over top of it. And uh, the song is called Earthquake Love. And so you can maybe even search that up on YouTube. That might be better than the movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be playing that on my stereo on the way home. Yeah, and it, it's funny. At the end, uh, at the very end of the credits, I don't know if you stayed that long, there's a tag that says, Gunther will return in the Gunther who loved me, dot, 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 if this movie makes money. So I think it's probably a safe bet. Um, Hungry and UAE aside. <laughs> That we may not see Gunther return. <laughs> and I think that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. We don't really need more Gunther. No, I've had enough Gunther. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, speaking of enough Gunther, what are we going to be doing next week? Well, next week we're going to be moving from a uh, maybe a less memorable mediocre comedy into a much better comedy. We're going to be going back and revisiting Twins, which... I'm looking forward to doing it's it's a movie that uh, the people have actually seen. Yeah, it's a movie people have actually seen, people want to see. I kind of want to see it. Yeah. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is featured on the on the movie poster and is actually primarily uh, in the film. Yeah. So, uh, it should be good. Are you looking forward to doing it, Cam? I have nothing but fond memories about Twins, so I'm curious to see if that still remains the case. Or if it's like returning to some of the other older comedies of your, you know, when you saw back when you were younger, and you're like, oh, these aren't that funny anymore. So I'm very curious to see how Twins holds up. Yeah, I mean, comedy is one of those things. Comedies never age well. Yeah. Um, but neither do I. So <laughs> we're going to see how Twins is. Okay. So you can find us on the Twitter at ArnieGeddonPod, as well as you can contact the show at ArnieGeddonPod at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Cam. V is in. Very glad Gunther is over Smith. Uh, and Tony, how can they get hold of you? Pretty straightforward. You can visit us on our website, arniegeddon.com. Uh, my email address is Tony G. Tony is the name and G as the letter at arniegeddon.com. Okay, so we'll be back with She's Twins. She cracked me right down to my foundation. She Earthquake Love Here she goes again